Morning, church. My name's Jean. Join with me now as we read our second Bible reading for today from Psalm 9, so you can follow with me on the projection or in your Bibles. I will give thanks to you, Lord, with all my heart. I will tell of all your wonderful deeds. I will be glad and rejoice in you. I will sing the praises of your name, O Most High. My enemies turn back, they stumble and perish before you, for you have upheld my right and my cause, sitting enthroned as the righteous judge. You have rebuked the nations and destroyed the wicked. You have blotted out their name forever and ever. Endless ruin has overtaken my enemies. You have uprooted their cities. Even the memory of them has perished. The Lord reigns forever. He has established his throne for judgment. He rules the world in righteousness and judges the peoples with equity. The Lord is a refuge for the oppressed, a stronghold in times of trouble. Those who know your name trust in you, for you, Lord, have never forsaken those who seek you. Sing the praises of the Lord enthroned in Zion. Proclaim among the nations what he has done. For he who avenges blood remembers. He does not ignore the cries of the afflicted. Lord, see how my enemies persecute me. Have mercy and lift me up from the gates of death, that I might declare your praises in the gates of daughter Zion, and there rejoice in your salvation. The nations have fallen into the pit they have dug. Their feet are caught in the net they have hidden. The Lord is known by his acts of justice, and wicked are ensnared by the work of their hands. The wicked go down to the realm of the dead, all the nations that forget God. But God will never forget the needy. The hope of the afflicted will never perish. Arise, Lord, do not let mortals triumph. Let the nations be judged in your presence. Strike them with terror, Lord. Let the nations know they are only mortal. Thank you, Jean. Keep your Bibles open to Psalm 9. If you've got an a newsletter there on the inside, there's an outline of the sermon, so you might find that helpful to take notes if you wish. Uh, let's join in prayer once again. Gracious Heavenly Father, we pray that as we meditate on this psalm, that you will be even now working upon our hearts to receive what we must learn and to change in the way we must change. And we pray this for the sake of Christ. Amen. Now, one of the things that mark out those of us who know God is that we are people of praise. You see, when we praise God, something happens from within us, from within our hearts even. So as though our hearts, our voices are lifted up to heaven itself. One of the things that are unique about us who know God is that we are people of praise. It's because we recognize the one who stands behind all things, we know the one who rules above all things. See, over the summer, I got to enjoy a bit of sun and beach. And in fact, I've come around to enjoying the beach. When I grew up, I hated the sand. Did not want the sand on my toes and all that? But I've come around, I've become more Aussie. But anyway, on one night, we went to Mordialkic Beach as the sun was setting. And, and you know... What happens when the sun sets? As the sun sets, the colours change. You, you see that evening hue, and, and it, was, it was just so romantic, it, apart from the fact that it wasn't because Yvonne was cold. And, but anyway, you look at that, and you look at the scenery, and how do you respond? Praise the Lord. He's the one who made it all. He's the one who stands behind it all. 
when we are in that sense of awe and wonder, we want to respond, praise the Lord. Now, of course, you don't have to know God to appreciate it, but if you do not know God, our appreciation goes nowhere. We just appreciate it. But for us who know God, what marks us out is that we are people of praise. We say, praise the Lord. There is no one more powerful than God. No one more wonderful, more majestic, more beautiful than God himself who stands behind all things and the one who rules over all things. In fact, he made us and made us for him that we might praise him. You see, we are people of praise. And what's unique about that is that we praise God in good times and also in bad times. When times are good, family's going well, life is going well, work is going well, health is going we praise God. But Christians also praise God in bad times. Do you know the story of Job? Remember his story, what happened with him? I mean, you look at his life, and life was just going so well for him until Satan came after him. And then what happened? He lost his wealth. He lost his servants. Even his sons and daughters perished. He lost his significance. He lost his security. And you just imagine, how do you move on? How do you live if you were to experience what Job experienced? I mean, his wife, do you know what his wife said to him? You go and curse God and die. And how did Job respond? He fell to the ground in worship and he said, The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away, but blessed be the name of the Lord. Just like what we are saying before. You see, one of the things that mark out those of us who know God is that we are people of praise. And so as this year has begun, what are you praising God for? We are people of praise. What was the last thing you praised God for? Because that is what this psalm is about. And this psalm will teach us to praise God. And that's how David began in this psalm. It's in fact how David begins many of his psalms. Do you notice that? Look at verse 1. He says, I will praise you, O Lord. That is, O Yahweh, the personal name of God. O Lord, I will praise you with all my heart. It's only a three-letter word, but it's so significant, with all my heart. I mean, that's worth reflecting on, isn't it? I mean, for us to consider our praise of God, our worship of God, our thanksgiving to God, is it often with all our heart or only with you know, the left chamber of our heart, with part of our heart? I praise you, Lord but only part of my heart. I'm not really wholehearted, I'm just half-hearted. It makes us wonder, doesn't it? Even in our singing before, was it wholehearted or with only just part of our heart? I mean, over the summer we had in this church family two weddings and it was beautiful. It was a joyful occasion. Joyful. But imagine the groom praising their bride. You're absolutely beautiful. Absolutely gorgeous. I praise you with the left chamber of my heart. You wouldn't do that, right? And none of the grooms did that, just, just in case you're concerned. In fact, one of the grooms, he was tearing up as the bride was walking down the aisle. You see, it must be with all our hearts, especially when we come to God. He deserves nothing less. And so it must be like David, verse 1. I praise you, O Lord, with all my heart, wholehearted. 
It's the only right way. God deserves nothing less. You see, this should make us consider what our praise of God is like, what our worship of God is like. It's not as though God is, you know, scraping around for the scraps of our heart's worship. Not at all. God deserves all. And it should make us even reflect on how we sing. I know this is a Presbyterian church and we've got a a way of singing together, but wasn't it beautiful this morning to raise our voices, to lift them up together? But sometimes I do wonder, even in our singing, is it with all our hearts? Is it wholehearted? Because I reckon often the face might not reflect it. The heart may but less reflected. And wouldn't it be so wonderful that each week as we sing out praises to God and belt out the praises of Christ as those who walk the streets around our church, they're hearing, wow, what's happening inside? They're, they're singing. They're happy. They're excited. And we want to say, you bet you, because we're praising God with all our hearts. You see, the reality is that God sees it all, doesn't he? He knows whether we're wholehearted in our worship of him, or whether we're half-hearted. But God wants wholehearted worship, just like what David gave here. And David here, he praises God for the wonders and the works of God. You know, as you consider the sunset, from the tiniest hummingbird that buzzes around, to the vast galaxies of the universe, from the calm flowing stream of the river, to the raging waves of the ocean, from the from the life he gives us to the gentle, tender care he gives us each day. David praises God. Verse 1, I will tell of your wonders. Verse 2, I'll be glad and rejoice in you. I will sing to your name, O Most High. These are the words and the praise of someone whose heart is full. God is God and he deserves it all. But now as we go on in this psalm, what was it? that David praises God for. Because I suspect as we heard the reading before and as we read on, I wonder whether it sounds a little foreign to us. I mean, David, he praises God because God is the judge who will destroy his enemies. Now, I suspect many of us, as we read this psalm, we're thinking, well, I'm not sure how this is relevant. I don't think I've got any enemies. Some of us may be thinking that. And some of, us may be, um, some of us may be wondering, well, maybe it feels like that time when someone did try to harm me, that time when someone slandered against me, tarnished my reputation, when someone bullied me at school or at work, someone who tried to make life difficult for me. I mean, that feels like an enemy. But you see, the reality for David in writing this psalm was that he experienced enemies who wanted him dead. And I suspect not many of us, if ever, ever experienced such a thing. He had kingdoms and armies and warriors who wanted him dead. Even King Saul, remember the story. Saul wanted him dead. But yet David praises God. Verse 3, my enemies turn back. They stumble and perish before you. I mean, that was certainly the case for David. He had enemies out to get him. And perhaps he was recalling how he defeated Goliath and it was God's doing. But then I, again, I wonder whether we feel this is a bit distant, a bit foreign. I mean, David's talking about enemies. He's praising God for enemies. But I don't really see any enemies in my life. 
I mean, we praise God for sure, but are we praising God for the same thing? It's interesting, isn't it? I was mulling and meditating over this over the summer. Like, how is this relevant? He's praising God for defeating their enemies. Where are our enemies? But you see, the reality for many Christians, perhaps not us, but for many Christians, is that they do have such enemies. Christians have always faced persecution since the time of Jesus. Jesus himself said, All men will hate you because of me. If we are a disciple of Jesus, people will hate us. And they are the enemies. Now, it may look different in Australia, the opposition. But just try to, in the workplace, in the public sphere, affirm traditional marriage, that that is the only marriage in God's eyes. Or speak publicly about what we understand about gender. Or speak about the sanctity of unborn children. It's not right, never right, to kill unborn children. Or to speak about the dignity of those who are aging. Or to preach that there is only one way to heaven. Speak of those things amongst your colleagues in the workplace, amongst your friends in university, and see what happens. But you really just have to read Barnabas' fun to see how this psalm is so relevant. Do you know the Barnabas Fund, that aid that supports persecuted Christians around the world? You read of that and you hear why this psalm is so relevant. They report of things that are often not reported in mainstream media. I looked up on their latest update. The 18th of January, this was the update. On the 12th of Jan, which was not long ago, On the 12th of Jan, I was just at home on leave, safe. But what happened? In Myanmar, five people killed as military bombed the church in one of the Christian states. Two church leaders, a young boy and his mother, killed. Is this psalm relevant? Yes, it is. On the 15th of Jan, which is just last Sunday, when many of us were at church, safe. In the Democratic Republic of Congo, what happened? 17 Christians killed. 39 wounded in a church bombing carried out by a jihadi group. Again, last Sunday, the 15th of January, a Nigerian church minister burned to death after armed men set his house to fire. Is this psalm relevant? You know, we may feel it feels a bit foreign enemies, but it is relevant. So many of our brothers and sisters around the world face such enemies and need such a psalm. And so when you listen to that, you can see why we need this psalm. You can see why we, even in the safety of Australia, persecution may look different. We need this psalm, even if not for ourselves, But you see, in our prayers, we join with our fellow brothers and sisters around the world. What one scholar, he he puts it this way, James May. There may be no trouble for the present that corresponds to the tribulations described in the Psalms. But do we need to do more than call the role of such places as El Salvador, South Africa, China, to remember that there are sisters and brothers whose trials 
could be given voice in our recitation of the Psalms. And so we need this psalm, even for us. Because when we remember and see what we're doing in this psalm, we're recognizing what? That God delivers. He is the judge who is on his throne. He has not abdicated from his throne. He still rules today and he delivers enemy after enemy. And that's what David praises God for. You see, God struck them down one after the other. Verse 3, they stumble, they perish. Verse 5, do you see that? They've been rebuked, they're destroyed. Verse 6, their city's ruined, uprooted. And that's why David praises God. Despite what I'm experiencing in life, they want my life. But I can praise God because he's on his throne as judge. He still rules and reigns. And then verse 4, have a look at verse 4 with me. For you have upheld my right and my cause. You see how, how, how meaningful that verse is. Even if the courts fail me, even as my lawyer makes a mess of my case, even as the judge makes a bad judgment, God will uphold my right and my cause. Verse 4, you have set, you have sat on your throne judging righteously. You see, the picture here is, above all human rule, we need to remember God is the ultimate ruler. That's why we praise God. Above all human thrones, God sits on the highest throne. That's why we praise God. Above all human courts is God's own court. That's why we praise God. You see, unlike the justice we see in the world, often courts do get it wrong. I was, in fact, quite surprised. I did a bit of research. In Australia, since 1922, there have been nearly 100 cases of wrongful convictions. Wrongful convictions where the courts got it wrong. In fact, in one case, David Eastman, he spent almost two decades behind bars for cold-blooded murder. But he did not commit it. But then you have on the other side so many who get away with robbery, theft, abuse, violence, rape, even murder. In fact, in America, you have a 50% chance of getting away with murder. Not to encourage anything, but 50%. It's because about 50% of all murders go unsolved. There is no perfect justice in this world. And so how do we get perfect justice? Well, it can't be karma. Many people like to talk about karma like that is just. Well, if you think about karma, it's a very unfair and unjust system. I mean, I'm being punished in this life for something I committed in a previous life to someone else and I have no recollection of that. That is not justice. To have perfect justice, you being punished, you being held account for what you know you did and thought. For perfect justice, you need a perfect judge who sees everything. And that's what we have in this psalm. That's why David praises God. Look at verses 7 and 8. The Lord reigns forever. Not for a time, not for a season, but forever. He has established his throne for judgment. He will judge the world in righteousness. He will govern the people with justice. Nothing at all hidden from God. No one gets away with anything at all. 
it will be perfect and it will be final. And so it's worth praising God for that. In fact, if you consider this psalm, if you look at the picture that is painted for the wicked, for the enemies, it's in fact terrifying. Terrifying for what they face because there is no escape. You see, the two things that all human beings, we long for, we strive for, we want, we need, the two things, significance and security. We all want a sense of significance, don't we? We want to have a sense that I matter, what I do matter, significance. And we all want a sense of security, that there is protection, that all will be okay, someone's looking out for me, significance and security. But do you see what will happen to the enemies of God? They lose them both. They lose their significance and they lose their security. I mean, forget about leaving a legacy in this world. Forget about being remembered. Look at verse 5. You have blotted out their name forever and ever. Blotted out from the mind of God. You'll be forgotten. You may go down in the history books, but you'll be forgotten in God's book. Verse 6. You have uprooted their cities, even the memory of them has perished. I mean, you consider the great ancient cities of Nineveh, of Babylon, where are they now? They're just ruins. Security gone. And then verse 17, they return to the grave. Verse 19, they judge. And then verse 20, strike them with terror, O Lord. Let the nations know that they are but men. Put us in our place. Help us see that we're mere mortals. There is no significance, no security at all for those who are against God. But that's why David finds comfort and assurance. He praises God despite what was happening around him. He remembers God is still ruling upon his throne. It's the comfort that the Christians in Miami, in Nigeria, in Congo, they need. Despite what was happening to the churches, to the Christians, to the brothers and sisters... God sees everything. No one will get away. He will rule and judgment one day will be final. God will make all things right one day. And so David, he praises God because he is the judge. But now he also praises God because he is the refuge to turn to. Now the word refuge carries the sense that God is that the mighty fortress, a stronghold, the one you go to as the arrows are flying, as the grenades are being launched, as the swords are swinging, you go to the fortress for protection. You go to God. And so that's what David says here. Verse 9, the Lord is a refuge for the oppressed, a stronghold in times of trouble. I mean, do you notice that? Those who find refuge in God, what do they get? They get significance. And they get security. You see, the wicked, they will be forgotten, blotted out from the memory of God. But verse 10, look at verse 10. Those who know your name will trust in you. For you, Lord, have never forsaken those who seek you. One will be forgotten, but one will never be. And the wicked who forget God, they will be returned to the grave. But look at verse 18. But the needy, will not always be forgotten, nor the hope of the afflicted ever perish. You see, God remembers. God sees all, and he remembers. He remembers those who humbly come to him. 
And that verse 18, I just love the last part of that verse. Their hopes will never perish. I mean, just imagine living life without any hope. Or all your hopes of whatever will happen, all completely dashed and gone. What do you call that? You call that a hopeless life. Living without hope. But this verse here, their hopes will never perish. Don't you love that verse? And do you know how significant, significant that is? As we experience the ups and downs, the trials of life, and all that happens in this messy, broken world. I mean, last Tuesday, there was a funeral of a daughter of one of our fellow ministers in our denomination. It was a sad day. Of course it was a sad day. She was only in her late 30s. And imagine the grief of the parent of that minister and his wife burying his own daughter. Heartbreaking. Completely heartbreaking. In Chinese, there's a saying where white hair has sent black hair first to speak of the grief of parents who have to bury their own children. I contacted this fellow minister. I couldn't be there at the funeral. I was up in Sydney. But I said, may you find hope. Imagine living without hope. But may you find hope today in the resurrection hope for those who belong to our Lord. For one day, there will indeed be the glorious reunion of all the saints around the throne of Christ. You see that verse? Verse 18 is so significant. Their hopes will never perish. Significance and security, they have them both. And that's why David began this psalm, Praise the Lord with all my heart. And so what about you then this year? Will you be praising God this year? What will you be praising God for? Now, of course, we may not face enemies like our brothers and sisters in Nigeria or the Congo or Myanmar. But there is opposition if we have our eyes open, if we are aware. There is opposition to the cross. There is opposition to Christ. There is opposition to God. And we will face that if we follow Jesus. There is opposition even now in our country, and I suspect it will only get worse. You see, our lives may not be at stake, but Christians who may be promoted, that might be at stake. Christians who may possibly hold public office, that may be at stake. Important roles. Remember just last year, the Andrew Thorburn case. But I do wonder whether in this country there will come a time when even ministers and preachers and Bible teachers will be muzzled in what we're allowed to say in the public sphere. Do you think that's coming? I do wonder whether in this country there may, be, there may come a time when we might even see Christians, ministers, thrown in prison for what they teach. Because just like in this psalm, isn't it true that this nation too has forgotten God? But as we read this psalm, you know, as we think enemies, it feels a bit distant though, I think we're getting a sense that they're around. We mustn't forget the greater enemy that I think this psalm is speaking of. The greater enemy we all face, 
that we cannot be complacent about. The one who tempts and lies and deceives and lures and seduces. The one who gets us to think it's okay to lie. It's okay to live for yourself. Live a little. It's okay to build your kingdom here. It's okay to compromise on the truth because your reputation. It's okay to do those things. The one who wants us to make a mess of our own lives, that we might worship stuff, things, rather than God. The one who wants not just our life, but our soul, that we might be dragged down to hell with him. The one who prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. I mean, who is that enemy, that great enemy? Well, Paul tells us in Ephesians, in Ephesians 6, for our struggle... It's not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. The enemy is the devil himself. It's very easy, isn't it, to live our lives just so comfortable, so in a sense almost complacent and unawares that the devil is lurking, that we are in a spiritual battle that he is at work to tear us down, to bring us down, to make a mess of our lives. And if we are not aware of that, I do wonder whether we've already given in and fallen prey. That's why this psalm is relevant. It's talking about enemies, but it's praising God because he is judge. He'll bring an end to it all. It is relevant. And how did God do that? How was our great enemy defeated? What did God do to exercise, to show his authority and judgment over evil? Well, God's answer was in his son, Jesus Christ. In his son, Jesus Christ, who came to earth, who died on the cross, who came back to life to defeat the powers of evil. I mean, we remember, even in his son, we look forward to the great enemy God has defeated for us in Jesus Christ. And that's the picture we get in Revelation in the first reading. The great enemy will be thrown into the lake of burning sulfur, blotted out and forgotten forever one day. And that's why, for us who know that, for us who know God, what type of people are we meant to be? We're people of praise. We're people of praise because God is judge. He's still on his throne. And he rules over all. And so what will this year look like for you? What will you be praising God for this year? Because this year may be a good year, a better year than last year. And that's what we pray for. Or it may turn out to be a difficult or a bad year. In fact, already this year, I caught up with a fellow minister friend. He's actually just left the ministry for a while because he was just burnt out. He's unaware, where he's unsure whether he'll return to ministry. It's just already been for him a difficult year. I mean, that other fellow minister who had to bury his daughter, we don't know what the trials, the setbacks, the burdens this year may bring. Or it may be a year of joy and celebration. We don't know, but what can we do? What type of people are we? We praise the Lord still. He still rules and reigns. He's still Lord over all. He's our refuge. We remember the Lord and we praise him. 
He's on his throne even now. And so those of, of the grieving because of what happened in Miami, in Nigeria, in Congo, they grieve and mourn, but yet they can remember what will happen at the end. What we heard in our first reading, he will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. One will be forgotten. Those of us who know God will never be abandoned or forgotten. And so what do we do? We praise the Lord. We praise the Lord. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are indeed worthy of praise for even today you are sitting on your throne as judge and ruler of all. And we do thank you that in Jesus Christ you defeated the great enemy of ours, Satan himself. In the death and resurrection of Jesus, death is conquered and there is hope for us now, a hope that will never perish. And so we do praise you for your son, Jesus Christ, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.